Welcome to Regis Radio. I'm Stephanie Alperlisi. We invite you to take the next 10 to 15 minutes to hear from some of the life insurance industry's top experts and from some of our own. Regis Financial Partners is a national brokerage general agency who partners with financial advisors and insurance professionals. Our mission is to find insurance solutions for our advisors and their clients. We have a concierge approach that one size does not fit all when it comes to your business. Feel free to contact us to see how we can partner with you. And we thank you for listening today. Welcome back folks to Regis Radio. I'm Stephanie Alperlisi and today I am with Heather Sprague, who not only is a near and dear friend of mine, but is also a concierge independent underwriter out in the world today. I want to, first of all, say hi, Heather. Thank you for joining us. Hey, Steph. Thanks for having me. Uh, Heather, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and, and what your role is within the insurance industry? Yeah, so I've been in underwriting for, I hate to say it, going on about 25 years now. Um, I started straight out of college with Cigna Individual Insurance, which at the time had one of the, the best training programs out there. At the time, I, I can remember showing up to work on my first day and seeing the sign for the new business department and thinking to myself, geez, wonder what kind of new businesses they do here. I had no clue about anything. So um, they, they threw me in uh, feet first into that underwriting program. And just from there was a home office underwriter for several years and moved over to brokerage and have been independent for about 18 years now, um, supporting general agencies uh, on their impaired risk business. We've been using you for quite some time. Um, I, I know the relationship goes way back uh, prior to uh, it being Regis Financial Partners back all the way to Synergy Life Brokerage. But, you know, we've worked together, and I like to say extremely successfully over the years in terms of taking a complicated medical case, medical history case for, a, for an advisor and their client, and being able to, to make sure that the client's getting the best underwriting decision from the best carrier, from the best product solution mm -hmm. for them long-term. And so for us, we're obviously always very grateful for your knowledge and your expertise, but I want to talk a little bit about today because you're more on the front line than I am, right? So mm -hmm. I work with the advisors and, and you're the one who I turn to and say, Heather, I got a case and they've got X, Y, or Z. What have you been seeing um, over the last, you know, either post COVID, I, I think that's what we can kind of say we're in mm -hmm. right now um, with carriers and their underwriting process in terms of, you know, are they loosening up their guidelines? Or are they tightening up their guidelines or how are they reacting to the post-COVID world? Yeah. So, you know, I kind of associate um, the change in our industry with COVID. You know, it seems like a lot of this kind of happened during, you know, what we're seeing now in the landscape happened during COVID, you know, really the prominence of accelerated underwriting and those sorts of things that really are are making it a little bit you know tricky for us from an underwriting standpoint to navigate cases through the pipeline. You know, I'm not really seeing a a huge difference in terms of risk classification. I think I don't think things are any tighter or looser than they were pre-COVID. Um, you know, we're seeing obviously the COVID underwriting restrictions drop or loosen up. So that's great news. Um, but from an underwriting standpoint, when it comes to coronary artery disease, diabetes, cancers, I'm really not seeing a huge change in how carriers are assessing those risks. Where I am seeing a change is 
in the accelerated process. And we were touching on this a little bit earlier today that you know, carriers are really relying heavily on diagnosis code reports and prescription reports to come up with a, a mortality risk class. And they're, they're, they're leaning away from ordering medical records that can tend to provide a more clear picture of what's going on in a person's medical history. And I, I gave the example of a case that we have that I'm working on with a untold carrier that uh, rated the client table four due to an asthma history. I had the APS. They didn't order an APS. They offered table four due to what they were classifying as moderate asthma, where my medical records very clearly stated mild asthma. I had a spirometry report in the file that was completely normal. Um, and they, they're holding to the table four and they're not interested in seeing the medical aid. They're not interested in seeing the records. That's uh, insanity. I mean, that's, that that's, that's not fair to the client. Yeah. And I mean, I, again, this is, it's the risk reward of accelerated underwriting. You know, the cases that go through smooth, go through smooth. And the ones that don't, they don't. And, you know, it's becoming more challenging, uh, to even pivot those cases, because in some capacity, every carrier has some form of black box underwriting happening behind the scenes that we just, we don't even know what factors are going into it. So we can shop a case out or, you know, prepare a medical summary and quick quote the case out. And undoubtedly, once the formal goes in, there's always that potential for some sort of risk score classification to rear its ugly head and turn the case sideways, even if it's by a table or two. I mean, you look at, at Banner, for example, you know, you could have a client who is tracking standard plus or preferred, and that risk score classification comes back, no idea what goes into it, some sort of, you know, combination of public record, uh, you know, credit, prescription codes, ICD codes, what have you, tied up into a nice little ball, and they automatically, based on that risk score, will reduce the rate by a class. In other words, if you've got a standard with Banner and that risk score comes back abnormal, they offer table two. Wow. And, and there's no getting around it because nobody knows what even goes into it. So it's interesting because on, on my side of the table, when I sit with advisors, and, and let's just talk about term insurance, right? Because it cost us more money to process term insurance than it does anything else. And it's never a winner on the brokerage side because of the way that it works. And it's, a, and it's also a losing prospect for carriers as well. Mm -hmm. So they've all come up with these accelerated underwriting programs. And so I sit with the advisor and say, well, so here's everybody under $3 million. You can get accelerated. And in New York, we're obviously more limited, but you can do an e-application and then the client gets called by the carrier. And then the carrier decides, well, if you don't need an APS record, we're going to push you through to this. And like, we just had a case with an untold carrier that came back that is, has a good accelerated underwriting program on a 39 year old and they're ordering an APS record. And we're not even sure why. I mean, we think it's clean. I mean, but sometimes they say, oh, sorry, you're going to get, you know, bounced out because of X, Y, or Z. And sometimes they don't even have an explanation for us. So it can be challenging. And they, I don't think mo a lot of the times the underwriters themselves don't have an explanation. It's just pure black box underwriting. It's like, surprise. <laughs> and so for us, we're trying to manage expectations with the advisor who's trying right. to manage the expectations with the clients. 
Um, and at the end of the day, they just want a million dollar term policy for 20 years. That's going to make sure right. their income's protected and their family's taken care of. Yeah. So. And, and, you know, and sadly, to, you know, to your point, it makes it so much, so much more difficult to, <clears throat> you know, manage our relationships with our brokers, because I mean, you know, you can, you can be as candid and upfront with your broker as possible from the beginning, but you know that's not their job you know they they don't want to hear that that's not right. they're they're just going to be as equally surprised when the case turns sideways no matter you know if you were super clear to them from the beginning that the case could turn sideways because of you know factors that are out of our control they're still going to be just as surprised when it happens my my famous saying and i say this all the time when it comes to underwriting i say every client looks healthy and every client looks fantastic until you start to peel the onion back yeah and you'd be surprised how much and i think there's other factors that go, go into it. Um, I know that sometimes for advisors, they don't always ask questions because they're sensitive for sure. And mm -hmm. I, I can totally you know understand that. One of them being uh, your credit history. That plays a factor into your underwriting as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, disclosing whether you have liens against something. Mm -hmm. um, your driving record. We have a case right now where, you know, guy's squeaky clean, but you know what? He ran a red light and they caught him. And his MVR came back and now he's got some sort of suspended license because of mm -hmm. that. And that really affects your life insurance rating. Sure. To find a carrier that's going to do it. Um, but, you know, one of the other big topics, it used to be taboo to talk about marijuana. Right. And, and I say that everybody's like everybody's smoking it or doing it. We want you to all be upfront. Mm -hmm. How have you seen carriers from not only a medical marijuana standpoint, but also from recreational um, treat, uh, you know, clients that do smoke? I think. Those guidelines have absolutely loosened up over the years, especially as states begin to legalize it. Of course, we're not legal from a federal standpoint, but you know, as carry as as it becomes normalized in society, and we get a better feel for how people are behaving in society on marijuana, they're they're loosening things up. And if it's admitted, if it's recreational, if they're using gummies or you know smoking a few times a week it's not a big deal anymore. I mean, some carriers more so than others, but uh, I think the biggest factor is transparency. So if somebody's using marijuana, just be upfront about it. You know, don't, don't, don't say that you're smoking it every day. <laughs> <laughs> don't smoke it every day. <laughs> don't smoke it every day. Um, but be transparent about it because um, they're testing for it. And really, I it's just a matter of being truthful about the use and even and we find like the prudentials or the hancocks or the lincolns of the world offer non-smoker rates right um for sure positive for it so if you, you it's it's the difference between your client getting underwritten in a month versus your client getting right. underwritten in six months because you've had to move the cases because you didn't disclose something right you know? and also um another thing yeah. to bear in mind is the the form in which they're ingesting the marijuana so like, for example, synthetic marijuana, that's bad. That's bad news. You know, Banner Banner will outright decline somebody who's using synthetic marijuana. It's no good. You know, somebody who's vaping marijuana, another thing, vaping is bad for you. Don't do it. So, you know, if you're using gummies, that's preferred over smoking and vaping synthetics and all of that. Well, no, I think 
And it and you know it's that's still another question that's sensitive for advisors to ask. But I I always say if you if you come across about in a no judgment type way, right? Um, it actually helps the client. In the it, long does. Way it does. It does. It's it's just a matter of you know ripping the bandaid off and getting. I mean that's part of our role as advisors is having to have that relationship, that candid relationship with our clients, and just explain to them we're we're here to we're here to help you and make this as you know smooth of a transition as possible. Absolutely. So speaking of another sensitive topic, right, and this just recently came up, uh, mostly because it's been in the news. And I think also because I think Kim Kardashian has now made it or maybe not Kim, but one of the Kardashians has made it uh, popular to do. But the the new drug Ozempic that is really used for type two diabetics, Mm -hmm. um, but now it's being used for weight loss. And, you know, it's something that in my circle of friends is being talked about, like, you know, hey, should we do this to lose weight? And, you know, I'm, of course, one of those like do it the hardcore way if you can. But how do you think the carriers are going to underwrite this for somebody who is using it literally to lose weight? Yeah. So I think it's one of those things. It's like, you know, my hormone doctor recently put me on hydrochlorothiazide because of water retention. It's good times, you know, going through (laughs) menopause. But and that's a, you know, if that showed up on my Rx check, an underwriter might say, well, hey, she's treated for high blood pressure when really I'm not. being treated for water retention. Um, my blood pressure is perfectly normal. I think it's the same thing. You know, Ozempic is a diabetes medication. So the question is, are you being treated for diabetes or is this being prescribed for weight loss? And are the diagnosis codes consistent with that? And really, I think, you know, you're looking at a standard case, but in, in situ- certain situations, I don't, I wouldn't rule out preferred as a possibility, assuming there's no, you know, no cardiac risk factors, no significant cardiac risk factors, um, no diabetes diagnosis. And you're going to also want to look at the person's weight and any, any weight loss experienced since treatment, because half of that weight loss will have to be folded back into the current weight to assess for rate class. So I wouldn't rule out preferred as a possibility, but, you know, I'll turn, you know, Conversely, there's a reason why the person's going on it to begin with. There's either, you know, a weight issue or other things that are going on, whether it's, you know, metabolic syndrome, not the diagnosis of diabetes, but maybe a metabolic syndrome that might otherwise hold somebody to standard. But I I don't think, you know, we can get around the diabetes issue when it comes to weight, you know, that prescription for weight loss, for sure. Well, that's interesting. So, I mean, I think for us, I had, I had somebody had mentioned it to me and, and I said, well, your client should start it. I mean, it's going to be based on your build today anyway. So, mm-hmm. you know, good for them if that works for them. And I say, go for it, but get the insurance now because mm-hmm. I'm not sure there's been enough studies to show the long-term effect Absolutely, a diabetic medication for right. something that's not for diabetes. And so how will, not necessarily just from a, from a medical standpoint, will that impact me, but then also from an underwriting, you know, um, impact later on. As right. What type of mortality pain. experience are they going to see 10, 20 years from now? Exactly. For the, for the group of people that are taking that for weight loss. Yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting and something to keep our eyes on. But, you know, another thing that talk about impacting mortality costs, and, and we'll switch again to another topic that um, I have, I know some folks that have this, but long haul COVID, you know, have you seen the effects? Obviously, the carriers are now starting to study this from a mortality perspective. How are they underwriting folks who have long haul COVID? Yeah. So my experience, I haven't seen a ton of them these cases, but you know, when I see them and you read through the medical records, gosh, it's it's really 
really having an impact on on the quality of life of these people who are experiencing these symptoms and it literally doesn't go away so it's legit long haul and it's it's being underwritten similarly to chronic fatigue syndrome so if somebody's experiencing ongoing symptoms of covid which are again similar to chronic fatigue you know that could very well result in a postponement because you just don't know which way it's going to turn I mean, this it can, chronic fatigue syndrome can be debilitating, right? Like Lyme disease, right. rated similarly, can be debilitating. So, you know, we don't have enough experience with it, obviously. So, I think you know, carriers in that regard are are being cautious on how to how to underwrite that risk. And so, if somebody's con- experiencing ongoing symptoms, uh, I, I would expect most companies to postpone. Gotcha. Well, and that's really tough, right? Because those folks, you don't know what the outcome is going to be or how mm-hmm. long it's going to be or if they'll improve or if it unfortunately will will get worse. Mm-hmm. But, you know, one of the, I, I've had a couple of cases recently, which have actually really surprised me. I've been in this insurance industry now for almost 18 years. And I have found that somebody who has juvenile diabetes, type one diabetes, has never been insurable before. That's what I used to find. We've recently been having type ones who have well-controlled blood sugar and A1Cs actually get insurance. Oh yeah. Yeah. And not even highly rated. I mean, yeah. some good table fours. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, I look at that and I say, look how far we've come because yeah. probably 10 years ago, I would say you're probably never going to get insurance or even probably 15 years ago. But now all of a sudden I've had a string of type ones actually. Um, and we've, there's a few carriers that definitely underwrite that favorably. Well, the, you know, the treatment mechanisms and the um, maintenance mechanisms by which you can measure blood sugar and all of that have really given long, you know, people with long-term diabetes the ability to kind of better manage these long-term complications associated with diabetes. And I think that's probably why we're seeing imp- improved rates because really, I mean, that's the the, the biggest, um, the risk associated with juvenile onset diabetes is just the sheer duration of disease that impacts the body, you know, microvascular disease, heart disease, those sort of things that are associated with poor control or, you know, even fair control. People are really tightening up their control because of, of the monitors and, and the, the way it's the insulin's dispensed. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that we're seeing improvements in rate classes as good as table four. And I've been seeing that for a few years. Right. But don't send me advisors out there. I know listening today, don't send me your A1Cs of 13. Yeah, no, I mean, we're talking, we're talking, you know, juvenile onset diabetics who are optimally controlled without complications, who are very well followed, hopefully with a negative stress test within the last two years. There's my little little advertisement there you go there you go well you know what heather i first of all thanks for your time today i really appreciate it but you know one of the ways that and i want to share with the advisors about one of the ways that you'd love to want to work with regis financial partners and who we are and what kind of separates us is from from everybody else out there in the marketplace is we really want to dive into your client's medical history you know we have a superstar like heather who's a part of our team who not only does medical summaries for us, but then also works with the carriers um, to make sure that the offers are not only fair, but also in the best interest of the client. 
Um, so not only do we have somebody fantastic on my team too, Kathy, who orders all the records and what I consider record time, mm-hmm. uh, but then we work with Heather to make sure that no stone is unturned, uh, no carrier has been missed um, that may have you know given us a favorable offer, and that we really want to make sure that your client is getting um, the best um, for not only product and solution but also for underwriting class. So. Definitely make sure you reach out to us if you have questions. And, you know, if you ever want to bounce something off, Heather, I know you've been great. You work with a lot of our advisors. You talk to them and you even take it one step further. You'll take that sensitive conversation out from the advisor and you're more than welcome to to talk to the clients as well to go through. Absolutely. It's been beneficial for a lot of our advisors um, who don't really know the ins and outs of medical stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's really helped with clients as well. Well, thanks very much for your time today. Well, really thank you for having that. me. It's fun. Yep, absolutely. We'll have you back soon. And let's hope that this underwriting continues to keep getting better and better. Sounds good. I'll, I'll keep my finger on the pulse and I'll try to come up with some, some new topics for our next call. That sounds great. Well, thanks very much. And thanks for listening, everybody, today. Talk thanks. to you soon. Thank you for listening to Regis Radio today. This podcast recording is for financial professional use only. This material may not be reproduced in any form where it would be accessible to the general public. Please keep in mind that the primary reason to purchase a life insurance product is the death benefit. Life insurance products contain fees such as mortality and expense charges and may contain restrictions such as surrender periods. Products may not be available in all states. Product features including limitations and exclusions may vary by state. We thank you for joining us today and we look forward to seeing you again soon.